Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my name is Justin Hamilton, and welcome to the second episode for Season 2 of Big Squid. today's episode, we're going to have a look at the second track on the Black Star album entitled Tis a Pity She Was a Whore. We're going to do a deep dive on the version that was recorded for this album, and then we're going to delve into the original recording that Bowie recorded in his home studio. It's DIY Bowie coming your way. Uh, We'll also be bouncing around history. It'll be like an episode of Doctor Who back when the TARDIS had a mind of its own. And we'll be travelling back and forth from the early 20th century back to the 17th century and then right into 1987 before we land gently in 2016. Make sure you check your overhead lockers before you open the doors as luggage has probably moved. I'll also reveal in this episode my favourite moment on the album. It's a part of this very song, and it's, it's such a small moment, but it's, it's, it's a moment of life that revealed a certain level of resonance in the light of Bowie's death. But for now, put your fists down and hold your mad hands, because it's time for me to reveal my fate, I suppose. I knew from the moment I heard this opening line that we were in for a hell of a ride with this song. It's funny, it's unexpected... It's a line that announces the song has arrived like your best friend turning up to a party four hours late full of piss and vinegar. The original version of the song was released in 2014 as a digital non-album single and then a week later it was the B-side to another new single, Sue or In a Season of Crime. This original version of the song is quite different from the one we're presented with on Blackstar. Let's take a listen to just the beginnings of each track so you can hear the difference. Here's the original recording... And here's how the Black Star version opens. 
The original recording is infused with the type of menace of many of the songs that you'd expect to hear on the Outside album. You could easily find this song sitting in a set list between Heart's Filthy Lesson and The Voyeur of Utter Destruction as Beauty. There's a suggestion of sirens shouting over industrial beats camouflaged as the sounds of gunshots. The song builds for a full minute as the panic in your chest builds and builds before Bowie's vocal kicks in. And when you finally hear Bowie, his voice sounds like he's lived a thousand lifetimes. He's, he's like a shark hidden in plain sight, mixed slightly below the surface of the song, prepared to devour anything that gets in the way. Yet the lyrics hint at defiance through humour as he opens with one of my favourite opening lines of any Bowie songs. In the original version, you almost miss the lyric. But if you pay attention, you can hear it right there, coiled, ready to spring. This isn't a legendary musician about to go on a greatest hits tour. This is an artist flipping the bird, defying the primitive beats that threaten to consume the narrator in the song. It rises continuously until the end when Bowie takes his leave and we're left with another 20 seconds of the music finally rolling to an end, as exhausted as anyone, relieved that the tension can be released and it is all over. This was originally recorded in 2014 and Bowie played all of the instruments on this home demo. Imagine a 64-year-old David Bowie refusing to be a Paul McCartney lyric, mending fuses, doing the garden, and instead he's in his home studio creating this and then calling out to his wife, Aman, hey, check this out. I don't know if that happened, but the idea of it makes me very happy. I'm not ashamed to admit that from the moment I first saw Bowie back in 1983, I have bought his new albums and songs as soon as I can get my greedy hands on them. In the early years of my teenage wildlife, I'd either ask for anything Bowie-related for birthday or Christmas presents. I'd work chores to save money and then head down to CC Records at Arndale Shopping Centre in South Australia, not far from my home in West Croydon, and scour the racks looking for any records I didn't own. As I said in episode one, it was all about the glam records to begin with. I'd seen Bowie live in November of 1983, and then a month later there was the cinema release of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, the concert where Bowie retired his outrageous creation just 18 months after his debut. I was mesmerised. So many hits, myriad costume changes, the glammed up kids in the audience hanging off his every word. His rendition of Jacques Brel's My Death haunted me. The cabaret flair of time was like nothing I'd ever encountered before. The rousing climax of rock and roll suicide, coming off the declaration, not only is this the last song of the tour, but also the last show we'll ever do, being just the perfect ending. A girl runs onto the stage to hug her idol, taken away by security as Ziggy declares, Bye-bye, we love you. Emotive. Theatrical, a meteor streaking across the sky and disappearing before you have a chance to tell anyone to look up. If the concert was the moment my eyes had seen the light, the Ziggy concert was the Gospels committed to celluloid. I was hooked. How was I to know that Bowie was about to spend the rest of the 80s bereft of inspiration as he attempted to reconcile audiences that liked his work alongside Phil Collins and Huey Lewis and the News? Bowie was used to audiences that loved the Velvet Underground and Iggy Pop. But Let's Dance brought in a whole new audience, a bigger audience than he'd ever had, a mainstream audience, and this led to his time in the creative wilderness. 
It is not unfair to say the subsequent albums Tonight and Never Let Me Down aren't great. But I've often argued this was a perfect time to get into Bowie because those were the first two albums that I experienced as new releases. Weirdly, I actually hold them in high regard because of my emotional relationship to them. As a youngster, I actually played both of those albums more than Young Americans. That was the Bowie album that took me the longest to get to really understand. I had to discover soul music and disco before I could embrace the genius of Young Americans. And by the way, just for the record, I don't lump Let's Dance in the conversation of disappointing Bowie albums because I firmly believe if he'd followed it up with an 80s version of Station to Station, we'd look back on Let's Dance as being that decade's Young Americans. 1987 Bowie went on his Glass Spider tour, a tour that has often been lambasted in the media over the years. I was 14 years old when I first heard about it, and I thought it sounded fantastic. When the world tour was announced, I was so excited, but then tragedy struck. He wasn't returning to Adelaide. What a disaster! I knew he was going to Melbourne, and I begged Mum to let me go over and see him perform at Kooyong. Luckily for me, Mum said that I was allowed to do this. We bought a ticket and I caught a train to Spencer Street Station a couple of months after my 15th birthday. It was the furthest I'd ever travelled alone. I was met at the station by a friend of ours called Jeremy, who was letting me stay with him and his wife. Then on the day of the 23rd of November, disaster struck again with Melbourne's legendary weather kicking into high gear. Strong winds and heavy rain were forecast, and it looked like the concert might be cancelled. In the end, Bowie and his band abandoned the Glass Spider set and production for safety reasons, and instead performed a straight rock and roll concert. I remember the guys in front of me were smoking a funny-smelling cigarette, and maybe that's one of the reasons I have an affinity for songs like Day In, Day Out and Modern Love. After the concert finished, Jeremy picked me up, and I asked if we could buy all the snacks on the way home, because for some reason I was super hungry. That night I slept deep and well. It wasn't until years later I finally had an opportunity to witness the full stage show on DVD, Bowie with the type of mullet that Aussie football players would probably think was a little full on. The concert is over the top, it's crazy, and it probably exceeds its grasp, and I fucking love it. I'll always love those mid-80s albums because they were the first that I was able to buy fresh at the record store, and 27 years later, in 2014, I was still experiencing the same joy with the release of this new song. Before we get all squid bits on the lyrics, let's really dig into the genesis of the recording. When Donnie McCaslin's band was hired, the initial reaction was that Bowie was about to release a jazz album. But as pianist uh, Jason Lidner said, the feeling in the studio was, this is rock and roll. The band are known for their versatility and improvisational skills, and what they were making was an album that defied genre. This is classic Bowie, as he's often picked out the parts of other musical forms and then applied them to his own songs, all the way back to the cabaret aspects of glam and and the entirely misunderstood Earthling album. It's it's not a drum and bass album. It just uses aspects of drum and bass to create a, a, a tight set of rock songs. One of the great examples of Bowie finding inspiration in other genres can be heard in Starman. Like, let's just have a little bit of a listen to this chorus. Funny, it kind of sounds an awful lot like this chorus. Bowie told the band that he wanted to re-record Tis a Pity She Was a Whore for the new album and that he wanted to draw on the atmosphere of McCaslin's album Casting for Gravity. 
In January of 2015, the band recorded the new version with everyone sitting in the studio together so Bowie could sing his vocals live. Later, Bowie would re-record some of his vocals, but the band was blown away by how great these first vocals sounded. The Black Star version of this song begins with a deep intake of breath. I've read some people think it sounds like a person inhaling a line of coke, but I've always interpreted this as Bowie gathering his energy, focusing his intent, like he's about to run up a hill backwards. This version still has that sense of panic as the original, but here it feels subtler, the music layered in gold, a receding afternoon on a sunny autumn day. There's that same percussion sitting underneath the song, but this time it feels like McCaslin is channeling Fred Madison from Lost Highway, in control, but only just. You can hear the humour in Bowie as he leans heavily into the consonants that bookend the vowel and the word cock. In the original, Bowie sounds like he's been staring for a thousand years, yet here he's younger, full of life, full of energy, whooping and cheering the band on, as if he's watching the dancers in the movie. They shoot horses, don't Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A film that Bowie borrowed the visuals for his sepia tone Never Let Me Down clip. When the song finishes, you can picture the dancers exhausted, collapsing in each other's arms, alive and aware of only each other. Do I have a preference? Eh, it kind of depends on my mood. I think today, during the isolation of early 2020, maybe I prefer the original version. But at this point in time, I need to listen to the Black Star version. I am happy to avoid any extra anxiety in my current life. Let's get into the Squid Bits section of the podcast where we try to figure out what this song might be all about. The press release that accompanied the release of Tis a Pity She Was a Whore claimed that the song was about the shocking rawness of the First World War. I think you can read a literal interpretation of the lyrics that open with, Man, she punched me like a dude. Hold your mad hands, I cried. Tis a pity she was a whore. Tis my curse, I suppose. That was patrol. That was patrol. This is the war. This could be a story about a soldier in World War I who, while on patrol, meets a woman who takes advantage of him and steals his possessions, but in the end, who cares? Being robbed is nothing compared to the war-torn horror that surrounds him. 
But I wonder if there's something just a bit too literal about this interpretation for Bowie. We've already experienced the opening of the multi-layered imagery that is inherent in Blackstar. Would he then settle into a straightforward narrative for the second song? Is this Bowie's The Straight Story in the middle of Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive? Let's take a look at the title. There's a play written by John Ford that was first published in 1633 entitled Tis Pity She's a Whore, which tells the tragic tale of an incestuous love between a brother and his sister that ends in disaster and death. Set in Italy, this song takes place against a background of lust, vengeance and greed that serves as a critique of contemporary culture and morality. So we could apply that synopsis to the meaning of this song, but, and here is the strange part, This play sounds more like the inspiration for the A-side single, Sue, or in a season of crime. So if Bowie wrote the lyrics for Sue, inspired by the play, where does the title come from? The play finishes with the lines, We shall have time to talk at large of all, but never yet incest and murder have so strangely met. Of one so young, so rich in nature's store, who could not say, tis pity she's a whore? We'll dig into the play more in episode 4 of this season when we cover the song Sue, but there's a possibility these two songs are companions in ways that are beyond the fact that they share two sides of a single. When describing the sound of the song, Bowie was quoted as saying, If Fordisus wrote rock music, it might have sounded like this. So to understand that quote, we have to look into Vorticism. Vorticism was a literary and artistic movement that flourished in England between 1912 and 1915. What Vorticism attempted to do was relate art to industrialisation while rejecting 19th century sentimentality, instead leaning into the energy of the machine and machine-made products. In the visual arts, compositions were abstract and reflected the dynamism of the modern world. The Vorticists patronised a London nightclub called the Café of the Golden Calf, which was known for its decadence and European-styled cabaret. You could watch bohemian artists rub shoulders with the wealthy and aristocrats, but this club only lasted a couple of years before the onset of World War I. If you look at the album cover for Ziggy Stardust, you can see the building that once housed the Golden Calf in the background, outshone by the suggestion of a glam queen about to embark on his immortal quest. If we embrace the idea of art relating to industrialization, we can hear the DNA of vorticism in the original recording. From the moment it begins with its nine-inch nails, Mr. Self-Destruct vibe, the recording sounds like it was made in a studio of spare parts, and we can definitely hear the mechanics of the song leading the way. Let's go deeper into the lyrics. Let's go full horseshoe. I reckon it's about time. The lyric in the song, Hold Your Mad Hands, I Cried, appears to be inspired by the opening to Robert Southey's Sonnet 1, which opens with, Hold your mad hands, forever on your plane must the gorged vulture cog his beak with blood. Southey lived between 1774 and 1843 and was part of the Romanticism movement where he thrived as a poet, historian, biographer and essayist. Sonnet 1 was first published in 1797 in his volume Poems and was part of a sequence called Poems on the Slave Trade. Southey was a complicated man, one who began his literary career as a radical before leaning more into conservatism, inviting the ire of contemporaries such as Byron and Shelley. 
He was an anti-slave campaigner, though, and this can be found in the six sonnets that make up the run of poems. With that in mind, is this a song about a slave master receiving his comeuppance when forcing one of his subjects to provide him with sexual gratification? Suddenly, the lyrics have a whole new layer to them. Black struck the kiss, kept my cock, smote the mistress drifting on. Tis a pity she was a whore. She stole my purse with rattling speed. In his book, The Complete David Bowie, Nicholas Pegg has a grand old time of extrapolating about this possible reading, even drawing parallels with Toni Morrison's 1987 Pulitzer Prize winning novel, Beloved. In it, chain gang masters force slaves to fillet them, and occasionally a kneeling man chose gunshot in his head as the price of taking a bit of foreskin with him to Jesus. I wonder how Jesus felt about that. Probably thought there must have been something better in Judy Free. But anyway, is this something that Bowie would write a song about? Once again, two songs in, nothing is straightforward, and we're left to sift through these lyrics and wonder. We're getting close to the end of the podcast, so as always, I want to give a big shout out to Chris O'Leary's books, Rebel Rebel and Ashes to Ashes. Uh, You can also find his writings online uh, at Pushing Ahead of the Dame, or just type in bowiesongs.wordpress.com. I've already mentioned him, but I'm completely indebted to Nicholas Pegg's The Complete David Bowie. I thoroughly recommend if you want more deep dives, especially like the slave trade theory in this song. Like Even Pegg reveals this might be the longest bow he's drawn in the book, and there's there's more to it that I don't want to ruin for anyone who's thinking of of buying the book. It's, It's really worthwhile. It's fantastic. Uh, There's countless sites and magazine articles that have also contributed to this podcast, along with many hours of me sitting on the lounge and listening to the album over and over again, looking for new meaning and thoughts to share with you. As you know, I don't consider this podcast the last word on the album, but a conduit for you to discover your own meaning and create your own theories. Please write to me at Big Squid with Justin Hamilton on Facebook, or you can write to me at my website, justinhamilton.com.au, with your thoughts. I'm, I'm curious to hear them, and I, and I welcome them. But let's get to the last segment of the podcast, the segment entitled, I Spend Too Much Time Alone. And I told you at the start that I was going to reveal my favourite moment of the Black Star album, and it's found embedded in this very song. But before we get to that, what does this song possibly mean? Karen A. Fields, in her analysis, lays out the argument the song is about domestic violence being carried out against a man by his wife. I've read comparisons drawn between this song and Bowie's Time from the Aladdin Sane album, where the mad hands refer to the hands of a clock, that time has moved on from him and taken his youth, and along with his youth has taken his libido, hence the lyric, kept my cock. I don't know if I subscribe to any of these theories, but at the same time, I refuse to dismiss them as well. What I do take into account is that in the recording sessions, the band noted how relaxed and happy Bowie was in the studio. 
He was entertaining them with X-rated versions of his version of Peter and the Wolf. Bowie even stopped recording at one point to share the hilarious video he found online where someone had taken out the music in the Dancing in the Streets film clip and replaced it with the sounds of breathing and off singing and shoes scuffling on the floor. It's, it's a really funny clip. It's really worthwhile checking out and I love that Bowie found it and was into it as well. So he was in great spirits while he recorded this album. So with that in mind, what does the song mean to me? I think it's about an artist taken from the comfort of home where they can explore their talent and intellectual pursuits only to be thrown into a situation that is beyond their control. What was once a fight for integrity and expression has become a battle for mere survival. This lyric feels extremely relevant to me at this point in time, battling the ups and downs of isolation, trying desperately to reconnect with the importance of art while trying to also survive the current obstacles thrown our way. A battle for survival is a battle that Bowie was fighting unbeknownst to most people, including even the band for much of the recording sessions. And this leads me to my favourite part of the album. Once the lyric is finished, you can hear Bowie whooping in the background. This is the sound of a man who has achieved everything, sitting in the studio with these musicians who are delighting him, exciting him, inspiring him as they play and improvise and break all the rules. This is the artist cheering as he creates a work that says, fuck you, I'm alive right here in this moment and there's nothing you can do to take it away from me. Listen, listen closely to Bowie in these final moments of the song. For me, that's a very specific sound. It's the sound of a man who is happy to be alive. I look forward to your company in our next episode, where we'll be covering track three, Lazarus. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.